hear ye, and get ye hype, for tonight's harrowing adventure takes place in the accursed land of Strahd. But fret ye not, though, as our tale is sure to have moments of levity, provided by our all-star role players, and led by our story dungeon master, Cody J. Hay. Truly, from the bottom of all our hearts, we thank you for tuning in to Live and Let's Dice. Hello. I, of course, am your illustrious Dungeon Master, Cody J. Hay, and welcome to the Live and Let's Dice recap backstage season one tango show. And I'm joined by our very wonderful players. Playing Ozal the Wizard, you know him, you love him. The ox father of the channel, Zachary. Jumbo baby. Playing the biggest, baddest paladin around. Kind of shy, kind of sweet. Serves a dragon. Dean the Dream Martin. He's muted, but he's not I was muted, sorry. What a rookie. Playing the Breaker of Chains. The wonderful, the amazing Mark. Well, the wide awake. He's wide awake right now, but... We're not playing. Hey, so, if you fall asleep on stream, we can see it, though. Thanks for having go. me on, guys. All right. There we go. And you know her. You love her. The one warlock to rule them all. Stolas, played by Dini. Good to be here, guys. So welcome. Zach, let's jump right into it. What is our first item on the list tonight? All right. So this is sort of like the intermission slash we just finished campaign uh season one uh, a few weeks ago about a month ago and so you know obviously if you're new to dungeons and dragons with collecting weekly there's a lot to catch up on and maybe everyone doesn't have the time so we're going to kind of give you like a one hour stream hour and a half we're going to talk about what's happened you know in the first uh 15 16 maybe like 17 episodes uh, we're going to talk character inspiration tonight, uh, favorite spells, favorite moments, favorite role-playing moments. We're going to go through episode by episode, just kind of hitting the the highlights of each one, the big combats. And uh, yeah, it's it's kind of like a, a look behind the curtain. Uh, we're going to talk about why we play the characters that we play, um, some of the things that we've encountered that have been difficult for us. Uh, and yeah, it's just going to be a fun stream. We're just going to kind of um, go through the whole campaign thus far and obviously uh this campaign is in big part to our patreon members uh we'll start there cody they they helped us pick the campaign which was obviously uh a big thing to choose from i think we had like 10 choices and curse of strahd yeah. was what won out so tell us curse of strahd what's it all about so curse of strahd is the darkest of all the campaigns and probably the most popular in the last i'd say fifth edition the last you know eight years that D&D has been running, it's it's the most ran campaign. And I gave the Patreon this choice. I said, hey, we can go super classic. We can go Dungeons and Dragons, like um, the Tyranny of Dragons, which is the very first campaign came out, dealing with Tiamat and Chromatic Dragons and that kind of thing. We can do the Meat Grinder, which was Tomb of Annihilation, dealing with uh, liches and tombs and mummies and jungles. Uh, or we could do... You know, a couple other smattering campaigns. Giants was the big one, but Vampires was the one that hit the hardest. Like, by far, I think we had only three votes outside of, like, the 60 or so votes that people actually voted on that were not Curse of Strahd. 
So by far and away, it was the most voted for campaign. It wasn't even close. So uh, we picked it. It's a dark, gloomy, resource light, or I should say um, resource heavy campaign, right? Because you need resources, but you don't have them. So resource scarce. Well, I don't sound like I know what I'm talking about. Anyways, uh, campaign uh, where you travel through these realms of mist that are outside the main realm of Dungeons and Dragons. And while you're there, you're completely isolated. You're completely helpless. And it's like your first day in prison, right? Strahd being both the warden and the worst gang in the prison. So that's here we are. Definitely, definitely. So um, big shout out to the Patreonies for helping us pick that. So let's go, um, I guess, character by character. Um, first, I guess, elephant in the room. Max wasn't able to make it tonight. He's got some big yes. stuff going on. Uh, but he will be with us next week for um, a really insane episode that we have going on. Um, so we, we wish him well, and we'll see him on the next episode. So I play uh, Ozal the Wise, and if everyone here can check private chat, I just need you guys to pull up uh, something for me so we can kind of show the screen what we got. So I play Ozal the Wise. He is a variant human wizard. Uh, we flavored his race actually as Arcadian. So in um, I actually don't know if Arcadia is a real D and D thing or if that's homebrew, but in our um, uh, idea of what Arcadia is. It's like a very magical place. So the people in Arcadia, they're biologically similar to humans, though they live much, much, much longer and they're innately like very magical people. Um, my character was um, obviously inspired uh, in large part by uh, Gandalf the Grey slash White. Um, I also took some inspiration from um <clears throat> from uh Obi-Wan Kenobi uh specifically old Obi-Wan Kenobi and I'm actually going to pull up Ozal on screen for you guys now. Uh so this is what Ozal looks like. Um he is obviously a Arcadian variant human wizard. Uh and this is Hero Forge. It's actually a really cool program that we use for kind of like quickly generating a lot of our assets for D&D. Um he has a magic item called the Magus Crystal, which is also known by a few different names by a few different people. It's kind of been like owned and passed down through a lot of different characters. Um, but it originally started as, um, which you find out later in the campaign, it was a uh, basically like a physical representation of a dream that a beholder had. And it's known as the Shard of Tenebris. And so the crystal is sentient. It has a lot of abilities that it gives Ozal. Um, can store a lot of spells inside of it. Uh, can uh, obviously summon um, some really, really powerful allies. And it kind of just helps him uh, be able to function uh, in this, you know, kind of resource light land. It gives him a little bit of extra knowledge. And it was flavored um, initially, Cody, when we had designed it. Because, uh, you know, when we did the campaign, you know, we... Um, it, it took us about a few months of like planning to really get it off the ground, right? And initially we had planned it after like the Tesseract. So it's supposed to be like a cube at first. Yes. And I was or, like, that's kind of boring. Or like, like a polygon. Yeah, like a polygon, shape. yeah. Yeah, the, ori the original name was the, the Magus Polygon. And I was like, well, I think I'd rather be a crystal. And I kind of got the idea for the shape of the crystal because uh, Dean and I had started playing Destiny around that time. And also, like, the sentience. Like, the crystal, I've never used it in-game yet, but it does actually float, 
Like I can take it off the staff and it can just float on its own and like kind of stay near me. And so I had kind of flavored it like the ghost from Destiny, right? Like it's like this floating thing. It talks to you. It teaches you things. It has. It can give you light. Can do all these things. Um, and uh, yeah, so that was the inspiration for my character. And uh, Dean, if you have your uh, Hero Forge pulled up, we'll go into Burn Dawnbringer, and we'll talk about your inspirations for him and and uh, you know kind of how you flavored everything. Uh, yeah. Here we go. Let's see. Um. And then, Dean, if you want to bring yours in, too, we'll bring it up when we, when we can. Oh. Do you see oh, it? A, yep. Yeah, so this is Burn. Uh, he's a Goliath. So he's eight feet tall, right, uh, Cody? I wanted yeah, him to a, be bigger, but I had, I yeah. had restraints. Um, yeah, so he's just a big fucking Goliath uh, with a big old sword. His sword is uh, bigger than, like, the normal human being. I think Ozol probably only comes up to his shoulder, and Ozol's pretty tall. Yeah, Ozol's like 6'2", six 6'4", six and even then Burn, or, uh, yeah, Burn just, like, is just way taller. It's, like, not even okay. close. Yeah, so I, um, I wanted a character that, um, Pretty much like he's just there to swing the sword. He's not the brightest. <laughs> he's not He's not a leader. You know, he's just there to kick some ass. And uh, one of my favorite characters uh, growing up, his name was, uh, his name is Samosuke Sagara from uh, uh, Kinshin, <clears throat> Roni Kinshin. In fact, I named his sword after Sanosuke's sword, the horse cutter sword, the Zambato. Um, and Sanosuke is exactly that. He's a badass. He's a great fighter. And, like, that, that's it. He's just there to help Kenshin kick ass. So that's pretty much what I wanted Burn to be. Like I said, he's he's not there to, you know, lead the party into some grand, like... You know, idealistic crusade. Yeah, like he. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So he's um, in the sub with everyone else. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does right by everyone. You know, if someone needs help, he's there to help them. He's not. uh, You know, he's not out there picking fights with people who don't ask for it. You know, Mm -hmm. but when people ask for it, he sure gives it to them. So that's that's burning in a nutshell. He's just a. He's just a badass. He's a good guy. I will say also in canon, we haven't given you guys the exact um, circumstances, but in our canon, uh, Burn and Ozol have known each other the longest, and yeah. Burn is sort of like a training father figure to Burn. Um, you know, kind of raised him from his youth, and I hope at some point in our campaign season two we can explore like that facet of it. Um, and then also Stolas, which is a really good transition. Stolas has known Burn and Ozol for a very long time as well. Not as long as Ozol has known Burn, but long enough that, like, you know, in our game, they were the initial group that we built upon to um, kind of get to Ox Inc., is which where we're at now. Um, Dini, do you have Stolas pulled up? We can. Uh, we I can do have Stolas pulled up. We'll see if we can get that in here. And then, uh, Mark, if you want to also get your. Uh, Caliban shared in, and we'll bring up Caliban here in a bit. Yeah, I need to do that. I'm working on it. Sorry. 
I'm having Wi-Fi, and then they all the kids shit at the same time, so <laughs> it's, it's terrible. <laughs> Mark, if, if it's if it's easier for you, just uh, <clears throat> private chat the link for your Hero Forge character, and I'll bring up. Yeah, bring yeah, up I'm sorry. You. But That's the freaking eight year old, the eight year old, she wants you there. Why? Why she wipes herself? And I'm just like, I, I'm like. So last same thing. It's easier for you like, if you wanted to share the link, and I can pull it up for you. How do I do that? I don't know how to do it. Just oh, go this, to Stolas uh, and then share? Yep. St uh, yeah, Stolas, and then at the bottom above screenshot, it'll say share. And then just okay. drop that in for me, and I'll, I'll pull it up on my screen. Okay, cool. I'll put um, it in this chat here. Yeah. While Stolas is bringing that up, I'll also show you the first <clears> transformation <throat> that I think we explored in our uh, campaign. So um, we were given... Um, Cody, remind me, what was the context? Like, how did we get these gifts from Strahd? I don't remember if it was after we met him on the Halloween episode or uh, when exactly we met Strahd, but we were given at some point magic items by Strahd. Do you remember what the context was? Obviously, we're going to go through it all the It was episodes. the Halloween episode. So, uh, uh, Strahd is kind of one of those, like, weird, like, he's the protector, but also the antagonist at the same time. So if a debt is paid to the Brovian people for like adventurers helping out, Strahd as the region is obliged to to do that. So uh, it was either taking down the Pumpkin King or the thing we did for Christmas. I don't remember. I think it actually might have been Christmas for the gifts. Okay. Yeah, we'll go through. Um, we'll go through everything. Um, but Ozal was given a magic ring, which I think is hilarious because obviously uh, Ozal is inspired by Lord of the Rings. And so the ring was a, um, it would morph you into a different race permanently. And so um, Ozal was, uh, we rolled three races and Yanti is what we came up with. So it's like a snake race, like really innately magical race, which is actually very beneficial for Ozal's character. But um, I hated the way it looked. And I, like immediately I was like, we just need to get rid of this thing. So for most of the campaign season one, Ozal was like this blue reptilian snake dude. Um, and it was super annoying, and it took us forever to get rid of that. And we'll, we'll talk about here in a bit how that happened. Uh, so let me bring up Stolas's character here. And so I, I, will, I will note that uh, Stolas actually really liked Ozal's snake person form. Oh, yeah? <laughs> he thought that was great. Oh, my gosh, I hated every moment of it. Uh, so, Dini, tell us about Stolas, your inspiration, um, you know, if you want to describe kind of what we got going on here. And then also, I guess for Dean, also, maybe we'll come back to you, sort of why you chose Bahamut, and then in Stolas's case, why you chose Hadar as your patron for your character. Yeah, so <laughs> the whole thing with Stolas is um, I just wanted to create a character who is, first of all, really, uh, stature-wise, really small, but has like a really big personality, uh, probably too big for what I think he should be entitled to. Um, he's kind of rude, self-absorbed, uh, super racist against elves. Super <laughs> Absolutely vain fucking too. hates elves, uh, which is something that I pulled mostly from my own resentment towards elves and fiction. So I brought that little bit of his personality in from myself. Um, he's, he's, he's kind of hard to figure out and, uh, even harder to tolerate, I think for a lot of people who don't really know him, 
But uh, when I decided to go with a warlock, I think my primary inspiration for choosing Hadar was my indescribable love for the game Bloodborne. Uh, From Software game came out like years ago, like seven or eight years ago. It it just has this really deep, ethereal kind of quality to it. You're dealing with creatures from another dimension and they're completely unknowable. And I like that quality where someone who is deep down, as far as our last episode was concerned, I went ahead and divulged a little bit more information about what makes uh, Stola such a bullheaded person. Uh, he's, at the, the core of his character, he's really afraid of death. And this thing that he worships is unkillable as far as I am aware. <laughs> uh, it's everything he aspires to be, including how it looks. A lot of people might look upon a creature like that and think it's hideous, but to Stolas, it is like the evolutionary peak of what is beautiful and unstoppable in the universe. So, uh, yeah, that's <laughs> that's Stolas in a nutshell. There's a I, lot to unpack there. <laughs> I would so, say it's been a lot, of, a lot of fun as a dungeon master because I've gotten to use, like... Cthulian horror in a setting that's more Victorian horror and kind of work it in and it's not a lot like usually if you're doing something like that you're playing Call of Cthulhu which is a totally different game and a lot of Dungeon Masters kind of steer away from characters really riding that line of being either hey this person's super evil but also like why are they evil so it's been really fun with Dini's character to kind of use the variant rules that we're using for some transformations in there so sorry Zach let me cut you off um now, just for the record, Stolas um, is not human, obviously, for the people listening to the audio. Um, Stolas is, I believe, an Owlin is the race, correct? Yeah, I think originally we had gone with Aarakocran, because yes. Owlin didn't exist when we started the campaign. Uh, yep. I wanted him to be an owl from the start, so we just sort of at first molded his stats and stuff to fit that race, even though he was an owl. Uh, but now there's specifically... An Alan race, which is pretty cool. Very cool. Um, Mark, do you want to um, pull up Caliban on Hero Forge, and we can uh, talk about some of your inspiration? Now, Caliban was a late addition to the campaign. Uh, we had some um, scheduling ish conflicts with James. He was on the other side of the world, and it was just kind of difficult to plan games in advance. Uh, we love James, by the way. It's nothing personal; just typical D and D stuff. Um, we do love James. So Terrace, uh, unfortunately, left left the campaign, not in the best way, <laughs> killed and kind of put on display, but um, Caliban, the Breaker of Chains, was a great addition. So, Mark, let's go ahead and pull that up, and we'll talk about uh, we'll talk about Caliban. Oh, uh, man, I wish Mark could pull it up, because Mark's trying to find a password, because these, these, these places, they, they do the special characters, and I'm having trouble with the characters' passwords. Okay, let me... God damn it. Let's Here, see I what I you. can... I got you. Okay. Yeah, even if yeah. you just have the art, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, just pull up the art, yeah. Um, so Mark, tell us about Caliban, tell us your inspirations for the character and well, um... the the inspiration is that I <laughs> last time I played D and D was two thousand and one. Which was a long time ago. It was like you know, it was that age where, you know, before girls wanted to touch your pee pee. 
you know, really. Wow. You know, you, you hung out with them, but they didn't want to touch it, you know. So, so it's been a while. So, Caliban, it's great because he's a barbarian, dragonborn. Which, dragonborn's a very new character. It was something I wanted to try because dragonborn didn't exist uh, when I played D&D in 2001. I don't know. I'm not exactly sure when dragonborn became a, uh, a race. I think it was like a, a three. SE3. I don't know if Cody knows. But, um, so I was like, oh, I thought it'd be cool. But Bar- Barbarian's always a cool race to play because it's something like, it's it's like if you're a new player in D&D, it's, it's a good race to play because you don't need to know too many spells. You know what I mean? It's one of those, you're, you're just going in and wreck shit. And that's me. You know, I go in and wreck shit. You know, my wife will tell you. I just go in and I wreck shit. So... <laughs> So it's a, it's a cool character, and I love it. And this is this is Dean's art, by the way. If anybody's wondering why this looks so cool, so wow. Now no. Caliban has a a magical weapon. Do you want to tell us about Winter's Howl? I don't have it pulled up exactly. The uh... I mean, do you know anything about Winter's Howl that you could tell us, like what it does, the inspiration for it, or Cody? Maybe you can give us an assist here. Yeah, could you give me an assist because I know it's just, I know it's just, it's just, it's pretty much like the it's it's OG weapon strongest weapon, and it's got yeah. the longest because it, it can hit multiple uh, it can hit multiple uh, enemies. Sorry, I'm sharing my screen here. I gotta turn uh, lights on real quick. Screen two. I had it pulled up recently, but I just can't tell. So you. Winter's Howl, Zach. I have my screen shared here, which is what I was trying to do. Yeah, is this like really cool battle axe that I found on Pinterest and, and I was looking at it and I was like man that'd be really cool to give to someone that's like a special weapon um, that and I was like well what do I give Mark because I gave, I gave each player at the start of the game something special right like Dini got the Rift Breaker um, or no you had the glove like she had gloves of catching that we ended up changing because we just totally forgot about it and we never used it uh, Burn <laughs> had this cloak of protection. Uh, Ozal had the crystal. Uh, Taurus had like a cloak of, of um, the elven kind, which allowed him to do a bunch of stealthy stuff. So when we were talking about introducing Mark, I was like, well, I haven't really given out a whole lot of weapons, and you know, this would probably help the party out. So I found this battle axe while flipping through Pinterest, which if you're a D&D fan, they have tons of people's art. They'll let you use a bunch of stuff. It was a lot stronger than what I wanted to put in my campaign. So I uh, I toned it down a little bit, gave it like a D4 of uh, extra cold damage. So it's got the, I think it's like a D12 of normal damage plus a D4. Uh, it's magical. And then he can light emits from the axe because dragonborns don't have dark vision. Um, and then once per Wait, day, he can make this what? storm. Yeah. This whole time he's been crying, he can't see anything in the dark. And I've been doing light on I his have, axe. I have his Damn it, Mark. Set. Damn it, Mark. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. As an action, Jesus. you can howl like a I'm, wolf and blue light emits from your axe. It sheds 30 foot of bright Mark. light, 15 feet of dim light. So it's already set to his character, which is kind I of hilarious. I, I was going to say, I literally didn't learn about Dragonborn until two weeks ago when I bought the books. So, so And it's it's under your quest log over here, so you can see right. it. And then Mark's actual character um, for Caliban. I don't know if this art's going to be seeable or not, but... That's kind of what Caliban looks like. Can you make it bigger or no? I can't. That's what she said. 
Ooh. Okay, well, that's not going to be very helpful for us. Um, oh, you sometimes know what I can you, do, actually. You just give it to her twice, and then you, you makes up the difference. Can I zoom in and make it bigger? Mm, it looks a little sus. How does that look? Um, uh, oh, God. Oh, that's God. Okay. There we go. Yeah, there that's not is. bad. There we go. Yeah. You're just Mark. a dragon scaly boy. There we go. Look at that. All right, let's, um, now that you kind of know about the characters, um, actually, do you want to bring, uh, talk about, um, Marius briefly, and then we'll start going through the episodes one by one? Yeah, so Max is a, a new ad. Last time we had Devin, who's a really good friend of mine, and he, he does our intro. Uh, shout out to Devin Silva. Um, so we were looking for another player, and we're kind of having some trouble in our community because D&D hadn't really caught on in our group yet. So we got Marius, uh, played by Max, who is a seasoned player that I've known for a very long time. Um, and I was like, hey, man, like, you want to be part of our you know, radio show that we do? And he's like, dude, I don't know. Like, I'm kind of nervous, but that could be kind of fun. So uh, originally when we built him, he's a Vestani, which is the people native to the planet Barovia. Uh, they're kind of this traveling gypsy, quote, um, roaming people. They don't really have a home or a place to go. And he wanted to be a cleric. The hard thing about it is, is that traditionally in Curse of Strahd, the deities of this realm have essentially been wiped out because Strahd's whole plane is a prison. So it's trapped in the mist. There are several other dread domains that are also trapped in like adjacent mists that we can kind of get into later on, or maybe with the Book of Strahd, we can talk about that. Uh, and each of them is ruled by a ruler. So Marius, having already played Curse of Strahd, was like, well, like, are you sure you want me to play? Because I've already played through the whole campaign. And I was like, don't worry, I'm going to make a hundred changes. It's not going to be anything you've seen before, which I think we might talk about later. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so now he plays uh, Vestani Cleric. Uh, he's Twilight Domain, so he gets to kind of work with night and darkness and cleansing things. Uh, Stolos just ate his god. Uh, last campaign, or last episode, if you weren't there, it was a really big, huge roleplay moment, wow. and it was awesome. I was not um, planning on divulging that tonight, but okay. So, you know, <laughs> spoilers! Dungeon Master, spoilers, my apologies. So, uh, and then, this is another example, uh, if you look, I have Marius pulled up here. Uh, Marius has wings, which traditionally humans don't have wings, or Vistanis don't have wings. So uh, we're using some variant rules that we got a hold of from the Grim Hollow Guide. So Zach is playing uh, a homebrew time wizard, essentially, uh, as his prestige class. Stolos is kind of in this aberrant horror, which is what's going on with their character. And Marius is an angel, sort of. So each of them is slowly taking on transformations as they meet goals and campaigns uh, in the campaign that I set for them. And then once the, like, Stolos's goal was to eat in a certain amount of people. Uh, which they have done wonderfully, I would say. Yeah, so, I feel gonna, pretty good about that. Yeah. Gonna pull up uh, Marius's art real quick. I'm gonna close my door super quick here because I got dogs coming in and out. All right, so this is uh, Marius's art that we have here. So that's his uh, like opening of the campaign artwork there on the left, and then on the right is where he's kind of at currently with his angel form, so he's grown wings, and, uh, you know, his eyes are now normal color, which is really neat. Um, we're hoping to do, like, an art for all the characters, because um, I think that would be really neat. And then for Ozol, as he's kind of getting into his time chronomancy stuff, 
Uh, he's also evolved. The crystal has changed a bit based on like our early um, preseason kind of idea of what it was, that floating crystal, where now it's actually just a part of the staff. And then he's uh, changed into these white robes for a, kind of like a role play thing that we had in mind that really never panned out because, you know, the campaign got pretty crazy. Uh, so let's look into episode one. Um, so Cody, tell us about, um, death house. Cause that's kind of where we begin the campaign on the road. We're taken by the mist and we enter Barovia. Um, and this was our first episode, obviously of the campaign, but it was also yes. our first episode penultimate episode. No, no, this was oh, without this was roll, 20. roll 20. That's right. And oh, it man. is jank, it's rough. Bro. It's really it's rough. rough. So, um, this whole campaign, um, this whole campaign is meant to be really, really hard, um, like across the board and death house is kind of sets the tone, right? You show up, like I captured the group through the mist. They, um, I pulled them from their original realm where they had this other guild for our first campaign. You can kind of go and watch a little bit of it, but it's kind of, kind of hard with new players to jump straight into homebrew. Um, so hence why we chose the campaign. So death house sets the tone across the board. It's creepy. It's scary. Uh, it's full of traps and death and our players just start by, by meeting these two kids and like, Hey, we need some help. And our players like, okay, we'll help you. There's a monster in the house. Uh, the house gets progressively worse as you go through it. Um, I know a lot of dungeon masters will run this, you know, 10 or 12 different ways. It's the starting of almost every, everyone's group for curse of Strahd. Um, I have pl- people who have played it like Dark Souls style, where if one person dies in the house, you respawn in the mist, uh, totally start the whole house all over again. But I, it, one th- it's hard. One thing that was interesting to me, obviously, first and foremost, our last uh, episode without Roll20. Um, so it's a little bit of a different play style. You know, we're kind of doing everything by pen and paper, and, you know, a lot of this game was like adding up math and stuff. Um, this was my first time casting spells, so this episode and the next one were kind of a lot of friendly fire going on, because, like, we had, I had talked to Cody about a bunch of stuff before the game, Bro, and I don't I know, intentionally... legitimately getting angry. Intentionally or not, but, like, when I was talking to Cody about some different things, you hadn't mentioned, like, that you could friendly fire, and so when I was doing a lot of things, I was under the impression that you couldn't. But I think one of the one of the highlights of this episode is our very first fight in the entire campaign was a fight against four ghostly suits of armor and we absolutely took like 40 minutes for this fight that should have taken like two two rounds tops and we were fumbling over ourselves rolling ones just 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 absolutely terrible and it it went pretty bad It, it was not a very good fight and uh i mean obviously we got through it but it it did take a while um, upstairs in the uh, the room here, we met uh, Cody. What what was the creature? It was like a specter or like a it was like a lady that had died, I guess, in the house. Yeah, and she, she was like she screaming at us, him. and and mm-hmm. uh, it it kind of was freaky. But Burns' character as a paladin, as a righteous paladin, can do radiant damage, and he just absolutely hit her with like a nuclear bomb on the first attack and just killed like literally one turn <laughs> killed her. I mean, yeah. it was like well that was somehow way easier than the four <laughs> entry level suits of armor. We also was, got some 
I'll go ahead, sorry, Cody. Uh, so the suits of armor have resistance to non-magical bludgeoning, piercing, or slashing. Uh, so no one in this group has, like... First of all, we're dealing with new players, so resistance is one of those really scary things where it's like, yeah, you hit, but that creature only takes half damage, and all everyone at the table goes, what? That's cheap? And you're like, nah, man, like, they're yeah. just a magic suit of armor. So, and then Burn put one in the fire, if I remember correctly, and I kind of was using the fires as checkpoints, because there's a fireplace, like, almost in every room. Yeah. So. Also, yeah. yeah. Um, In this episode, Burn found the Hat of Disguise, which came in really handy uh, in later parts of our campaign. We were breaking out um, Taurus from jail, which was really fun. Uh, so this episode, you know, wasn't too crazy. Uh, it's a little bit different than our normal play style. The episode concluded with Ozal befriending the two children, casted prestidigitation on them to kind of like, they said they were so hungry they were starving, like they hadn't eaten in forever. Um, and then they showed us where the monster lives, which was in the basement. And that brings us into episode two, which is uh, Descent into Death House part two. So let me... Let me pull that up for you guys. We'll talk about that. Now, episode two, um, as mentioned, was our first episode with Roll20. It was also our first episode with Max. And uh, it was our first um, episode where we really explored dynamic lighting, which is obviously a big part Mm -hmm. of Roll20. So you could see in the last game where the whole map is basically visible and we have to kind of separate player knowledge from character knowledge with this like it was very much um you can only see what you can see and you you, your roles are pretty much laid bare for everybody and uh it it, you know it was fun um i remember stolas had a lot of trouble crossing the first jump i think she kept falling in in these little like (laughs) yeah i uh, did Uh. (laughs) i was like you can fly what are you doing why is this so difficult and uh this was also i i want to say one of the first if not the first uh, appearances of Vor, which is Ozal's um, uh, familiar. It's kind of like a pet, like a magical pet. And uh, he's a huge part of the campaign. And it was also the first time Ozal used Light, which is one of his favorite spells um, to use, both on himself and then other characters. And um, Cody, tell us how we met Max and all this uh, shenanigans. Yeah, so there's a series of pitfalls, uh, which for Lolovo Adventurers is actually really dangerous because they don't have a lot of resources to manage falling or climbing or you know flying unless you're a flying creature, and even then it's still really hard because the the wingspan difference, right? Like Stolas, even being a small, well, I think Stolas to start with was a medium creature, and now they're a small creature, so they can actually like fly through people's spaces and stuff. Uh, but with new players, pitfalls are terrible. So I was like, man, I got to find a way to like slot Max into this game. And I was like, well, I'm just going to put you like in a pitfall trap. So they find you and he's just like, he's like, I'm exploring this house because some kids needed help. Uh, and I, I will also say the, the dynamic lighting added so much like drama to what's happening because you're going room by room not being able to see what is happening. And at this time I was still really, really green at roll 20. Like I didn't know how to switch layers or, and you'll hear it on the audio edit. And I apologize for that, but um, it's great. Like it just, it, it added to the sense of urgency for our players, which is kind of hard to, to do in a dungeon crawl online when you can see everything. So 
this was also the first time that we really took advantage of Burns' great strength. Once we realized we just were absolutely... There's Stolas rolling a one there. Once you once we realized it was absolutely just not going to be entertaining for us to continually fall in pitfalls, we were like, wait, Burns a paladin that can lift 600 pounds, just yeet us across this 10-foot chasm and then use your great athletics to just jump. Because we're like, you know, this is not... This shouldn't be as hard as this is actually becoming. And so we use Burn basically as like... A, uh, a sturdy mounting point to tie ropes to to get people out of pitfalls when we kept falling, and then also like a resource to just yeet us across the chasm, which uh, ended up being quite entertaining. Now, um, in this episode, Burn or uh, Ozal rather uh, did find a um, crystal ball, which uh, came useful much later in the campaign. It was kind of a resource that I kind of had tucked away for quite a while. It was actually in this room here that we were searching for. And I mentioned earlier, um, Ozal did kind of get into a little bit of shenanigans with uh, friendly fire. So I did not know that you could damage your friends in D&D. I didn't know that. Um, I didn't know that, to be fair, my my issue, like I understood how the spells work, but I didn't realize that players counted as like creatures. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, there was a moment where Max had been knocked down and I was trying to like, just like protect him from what had knocked him down, push them back a bit and try to kind of fight in their area rather than them just coming and beating the crap out of Max. And so I dragon's breathed and just absolutely wrecked Max. Yeah. Which is a cone spell, which we'll get into that later. And uh, since he was down, it was a disadvantage on all his saves. And then he was still down and then got walloped on by these uh, ghouls and that was obviously kind of upsetting for the party and um, I guess I didn't learn my lesson because later in this episode I thought it was a really pro play based on the situation but I cast sleep and put (laughs) uh, quite a few of the party members to sleep I want to say it was uh, two or three of us went to sleep, and Cody thought that was super funny. And we actually super had to talk. Funny. We actually had to talk off stream about that because I was like, "Dude, you're like taking the piss out of me live. Like it's, you know, we're trying to have a, a you know, we're trying to also be good ambassadors for D and D. And I, I had an issue with the way Cody was like, kind of as a new wizard, like basically taking the piss out of me on air. And it was, you know, these these are the moments that when you are listening to a new party play that you remember the most, right? So the easiest way to teach. Dungeons and Dragons, it's not, I will say this may be a little bit of a hot take, is letting your players fail, right? Like, I can't tell you every mechanic, every micro-mechanic, I can't play your character for you. Um, but learning through experience, and no matter how good or bad the experience is, right, is going to teach you. So watching watching Ozol fail over and over and over again with spells and stuff, A, is super funny for me to watch because it makes for really good content when people are laughing and having fun and... It doesn't necessarily feel the best as a player. Uh, when I played Death House, I died to a bunch of pots and pans in the pantry, uh, and I was a Dragonborn Paladin, and they just like I got, two of them got critical hits, and I was killed by a broom. And as like a first or second level Paladin, it's one of those things you're like, dude, what the fuck, bro? But it 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 makes for some memorable moments looking back. So yeah, I apologize for and... the you know. This was also one of the um, games. Um, maybe Dean or Stolas can comment on this also, but we kind of had a little bit of like party feuding in this game because Terrace kept just like wanting to scout ahead on his own, 
and it ended yeah. up kind of upsetting the party because it's like, well, we need to rest, like we need to get, gather our resources, like. <laughs> and he kept pushing forward, and eventually, I think Cody, mid game, you had to kind of address it and kind of like start laying some traps for him, where it was like, forced him to oh. stay with the group. The traps were already there, so I oh, okay. I did not add anything to him, but I I explained to him I was like, look, man, if you separate too far from the party. Uh, and some dungeon masters will really exploit that. Like they will. Yeah. It, it also depends on the setting you're running. So Curse of Stroud being a darker setting, it's one of those things that I am expected to as a dungeon master exploit the weaknesses of the group, right? Yeah. So I, for one, I remember specifically uh, taking advantage of the fact that he he got kept leaving us behind. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. There's this there was this part in uh I believe it is this episode where uh Terrace walks into a door that is actually a uh, mimic. It's a mimic. Closes it. Yeah. <laughs> and I just skipped my opportunity to help him. I was like, "No, screw you. <laughs> like nope. get eaten. I don't care." <laughs> this is what you get. You left us behind in that room full of I think they were like these gross ghouly creatures in the bedroom and they kind of wrecked us. So I was still salty about it, so when he got caught, I just I couldn't be bothered to care. <laughs> so. Dean, remember how upset we were in this moment here? I, this was like the only time I think I've ever seen you give up on a stream. We were we had low resources, and obviously like Ozlod fucked up twice. And then I I still think to this day that Cody was intentionally leading us to death. He was like, oh, well, what about this statue that is very magical? And we're like, no, we don't want to touch it. And you're like, well, it is very... He kept like kind of leading us. And um, I believe some sort of specters fell from the ceiling. And Shows. I remember Dean just being like, I'm done. Like, I, I don't know what to do. Like, Ozal's going to kill us. These things are going to kill us. Like, Terrace is, you know, keeps fucking leaving. And yeah. it was right here. I just remember all of us being like, bro, this is kind of sus, like what you just did to us. And I just remember Dean being like, I don't know what the fuck to do. And I'm like, I, Dean. Like, even there, I was like, 2GM, F you. <laughs> In the whisper chat. Oh, and, yes, this is another and, example of teaching. Fortunately, Dean put on his big boy pants and kind of got to work. And I think he I made think, quick I, work of, of everybody. But it was. I think Marius is the one that saved your ass in this room because he held up his holy symbol and made them all run away. Yeah, 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 definitely. So that's how that episode went. We we kind of got through everything, and we got to this oh, uh, fucking water dragon, the water dragon, which was our first God dragon damn. encounter. Oh and it yeah, was, yeah, yeah, it was definitely a fun Quentin one. So, episode three, the village, brings us to the village of Valaki. I want to say Barovia. Barovia mm-hmm. knew that. Mm-hmm. We met Ismark. Uh, we met. Um, his sister, um, who was who plays a huge part in the campaign, uh, Irina, and uh, we also kind of um, still had Terrace being like kind of like confrontational with everybody, and it was like, bro, we're just trying to get some information from these people, and he was just, it was funny. It was like, I don't know, if this is supposed to be an encounter that we're supposed to be fighting, but I think we're just was supposed this to talk the episode to when he started using his Batman voice, where he's like, I'm Terrace. I think it was the next one. Is it the next? But, one? Yeah, yeah. This was a uh, a pretty fun episode. I had a bunch of I think audio issues in this one, and I was really upset. Um, but oh, uh, yeah, we we met uh, Ismark. We went to the Blood of the Vine Tavern. We were commissioned, um, I believe, I want to say in this episode to take Irina 
many many miles away mm -hmm. and this is where we had one of our first really i want to say big important monster battles that really kind of you know because the water dragon was a fun battle but it, it was kind of self-contained right it didn't really right. affect anything in the campaign um we met father donovich uh vor had taken his first appearance as the flying snake which was really cool uh it was a transformation that cody and i kind of uh, work towards creating and uh, we met his son Daru and uh, I was scared shitless by this kid or Doru and he was horrifying and definitely this is like I think really where that light takes effect um, because before it was a pitch dark room and then Marius activated some light but uh, this kid was horrifying and he almost killed Ozol and it, it scared the shit out of me it, honestly this is like to me one of the most intense encounters that we had because it's just us in this dungeon with this evil, evil kid. And Dini, after... Spawn. Oh, yeah. After um, this fight, we had a big character moment. Do you want to talk about what happened? Yeah, so... Um, prior to this moment, uh, there was really no indication whatsoever what Stolas's um, motivations, religion, anything could possibly be he's just a member of the squad so um i kind of bided my time here in this scene where you know the priest is grieving the death of his son who we've just dispatched put him out of his misery um and i waited until burn left uh to reveal stolas's uh you know his his true intentions and that is to to feed his elder god and unfortunately, uh, this guy was his first victim. He um, he was in the wrong place, wrong time. Everyone had already left, so it was just Stolas and him. And it was at this moment where uh, our audience, even uh, our teammates here, were introduced to the horror that is Hadar consuming living people uh, in order to... Uh, Appease its hunger. Bro, I remember listening to that and like I, my mouth was literally open. Like, yeah, I was just like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, because Stolas is a carryover along with Burn from Campaign 1, but I don't think we ever got to that point with Stolas where they were eating people. So this nope. is like our first, like, we kind of knew of Hadar, but we never really explored it. We, we obviously didn't get very far right. in that campaign. And then there he goes, just blinks off the board. Just... That's player knowledge. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and what's funny is, I guess apparently Strahd had a spy in this temple because it was, it was known to Strahd that this had happened, and this obviously created some big rifts with the party uh, after the fact. Now, uh, episode four was our Halloween episode, All Hallows Eve. We had the Patreons vote on, um, essentially what kind of encounter that you know we wanted to have there was uh i remember the bag man which was a, a creature that lived in the bag of holding that dean had, had gotten uh yes. obviously the pumpkin king which won i think very handedly there was a few other ones i want to say there was a zombie themed episode and um the episode started with these animated pumpkins these these villagers with pumpkins on their head which i guess is a common theme for our campaign with bad guys attaching things to good guys' heads uh this dude, is the body first snatchers, of, dude 
Yeah, so we we kind of had to retreat because we knew that killing these pumpkins would kill these people. Uh, we met Mad Mary. Uh, she gave us refuge. We kind of introduced that plot point of her daughter, which we fulfilled kind of later in the campaign. Obviously not very positively, but um, we did eventually find her daughter for her. And, uh, you know, this episode kind of kept going and going, and we kept getting harassed by these pumpkins. Eventually we made our way to a field where we fought the Headless Horseman, which obviously big for Halloween. And uh, after doing quite a bit of damage to the Headless Horseman, we were met with a realm of the Pumpkin King, which is very cool. Now, on the way into that realm, uh, Ozal did encounter um, some um, beings that I think only Burn technically knows about for the party, maybe Marius also, but they were the Council of Ozals. They're a... Um, Cody, can you explain, I guess, their, I guess as much as you want to, because I know there are some spoilers for later stuff. So I guess I don't want to say anything that I'm not supposed to. So tell us what oh. what, oh. Oh, what you ahead. can. Ozal's background, when Zach was forming this character, Zach's like, dude, I really want to be some sort of like interplanar wizard. He's like, I don't know how that's going to happen or if you can make it happen. And I think this is right around when Loki was still airing uh, on Disney Plus. And I was like, dude, there we go. I was like, what if what if Ozol is not the Ozol, but an Ozol? So I started forming this idea, essentially, of this interplanar time wizards who who have a council, and they they are all in Ozol when. We kind of learn later on how in Ozol can be made, but uh, yeah, this this is them, and I won't I won't say too much more on that other than that it's going to come in probably more for our next campaign because we're going to be doing Planescape and some other stuff going on. Um, yeah, Ozol yeah. was given a watch which unlocked his transformations because um, Ozol doesn't have like a religion, so you know while Burn and and Stolas and Marius is uh, transformations were kind of built more on religion. Uh, Ozol's was kind of tied to this watch that he would wind every day and kind of eventually build up charges to unlock some really neat stuff. Um, in in this um, battle, we were aided by the Night Stalker. Um, he had helped us in the town, helped us against the uh, Pumpkin King and the and the uh, the uh, Headless Horseman. Sorry, Cody, did you want to add something there? Yeah, I was going to say... Um... The, the only other thing I wanted to add about the Council of Ozols is the only reason that Zach actually got to kind of have this Doctor Who on it, exactly, Abdulia, or Council of Ricks, um, is because the, they were shifting from the plane of, of Ravenloft to this nightmare realm that is overlapping in there. So um, when things like that get to happen is kind of when the Council can intervene. Otherwise, the entirety of the plane is sealed off like a prison. So... Definitely. Now, this was the first time we met the Night Stalker, and this was also the first time Ozol has used Rope Trick. Maybe one of the only times, actually. Um, and, you know, the Night Stalker asked to be invited in. We allowed him to, and that was a big reveal. And, Cody, I'll let you share kind of what happened there. And, Dean, if you want to talk about it, because you had kind of had some suspicion about this Night Stalker character up until the big reveal. Yeah, I remember thinking, like... Because he kept, his verbiage was weird. He kept saying stuff. And also his, 
motivation was way off. And I was like, and I think I asked him like point blank, like, bro, who are you? Like, there's no way you're not Strahd. And sure enough, it was him in disguise. It's like, I fucking knew it. I was so excited. My like intuition was like spot. It was pretty dope. There, So there's this moment of like, Strahd has several different um, aliases that he uses to, to walk about the town, um, you know, in different realms of dread when those like have like incursions and crossover, right? So this being an example of that, it's Strahd's job to defend his realm. These are his people and he is the dread ruler and the only way to keep his power is to kill whatever the biggest threat is, right? So I was like, well, how do I introduce Strahd without actually seeing Strahd? I was like, okay, we'll give him an alias. I was like, it's going to be pretty transparent for those characters who, you know, are watching. And I used, that, like Byrne said, or Dean said, very, very specific verbiage to kind of back up the, the vampiric speed, the vampiric senses disappearing into the mist or the night, like stalking the party, having information he shouldn't have, uh, asking to be invited in because they, to some extent, he's bound by classical tropes of vampires so yeah this this is where this is where it is yeah so we eventually did encounter the pumpkin king um and that oh, sword. was oh sanguinius that was some bullshit if you ask me uh but basically we all almost died cone of cold wrecked our absolute bhs um but you know eventually we did prevail with the help of strahd uh, I believe before the final encounter, we were given some gifts by Strahd Ozal, the ring that we mentioned. Dean has, which was one of our favorite roleplay moments, the uh, the never-ending goblet of your favorite drink. Uh, Stolas got, I think, Riftbreaker, and then Marius got an item that I think he sold to help us kind of buy some supplies. So he actually never did unlock that he, item. He gave it to the Goblin King later on. Oh, the Goblin King, yes, yes, yes. Yep. Now... Um, let me Is this the episode Elf. where you you forgot what orange juice was called? No, 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 no. I knew what <laughs> orange juice was called. The, no, this wasn't that episode. But you oh, know the man. the the goblet gives you your favorite drink, right? Uh, and my favorite drink in real life is Coca-Cola. So Dean's favorite uh, drink is root beer. But I think you said it like like a, a sarsaparilla, like a sarsaparilla. And I was like, damn, what is the medieval term for? If there would be one for Coca-Cola, and on the spot, like we're like when we do these shows, obviously it's live role play. Like we, I don't know what Dean's gonna say. Dean doesn't know what I'm gonna say, and we have to play off what each other are gonna say. And in that moment, where you're like, "What's your favorite drink, Ozal? What does this taste like to you?" I was like, "Fuck, what is, what is like the most <laughs> medieval? Like I can't drop a product placement in the middle of the episode. It'll totally take us out of the role play." So I was like, "Fuck, uh, orange juice." And I was like, "Damn it, that was so lame." <laughs> I don't. Just... It just took. <laughs> You just have to add fantasy in front of it. Fantasy Coca-Cola. Boom. I know. Um, And this is actually the episode here where we were commissioned to take Irina. Uh, We were given gold. Uh, Marius blessed uh, uh, Ismark's father's body. Yep, this is Ismark's house, the uh, Burgermaster's mansion here. Yeah, which is really cool. Uh, Ozal explored the chrono clock, and I want to say this is actually the episode where Ozal um, began his transformation to the Yanti. It took several episodes to take or I think it took one episode fully to take hold. Um, Three days. And so, yeah, we began our journey to um, Barovia? Velaki? I don't, I don't know. Velaki. There we go. Velaki. And that was kind of a fun thing. We met the Revenants for the first time. We uh, nuked some uh, um, 
tree blights and some of these things, which was kind of like, you know, kind of set up that plot point for when they started taking over the wineries, which I thought was pretty neat. And, uh, yeah, I mean, this was like a pretty combat heavy episode, all things considered. And, uh, we had quite a bit of fun. We met, uh, I want to say this is when we met Madam Ava for the first Mm -hmm. time. Um, she leads a group of Astani wanderers, which is very cool. And we had our, our, our tarot reading, which was a hugely important moment. Dude, I will say out of all of the Curse of Strahd videos, so I watched like probably 15 or 20 people do the, the tarot card reading specifically. Um, and they suck so bad. I feel like I killed this. Like if there was like a, a star roleplay moment for Cody for like really hitting the lore and like doing game mechanics and setting up everything, I think this was it. It was good. It was good. So. This was also when Ozal asked Madam Ava to begin working on a cure for his transformation. And uh, that obviously took some time for us to, um, you know, kind of get situated. But in the end, uh, all things uh, did come to uh, an end for that. Episode 6, Fortune and Favor. Uh, I believe we ended the last episode at the encampment. And uh, we continued on. We I think we had like a little bit of a... Uh, Right. What remind oh, me what man. is this called um this is the monty python bridge monty python here. thank you the monty yep. python bridge uh which was kind of like a funny moment and fortunately no one got yeeted off the bridge but it was definitely fun it was a thousand foot drop so uh you know quite 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 a long journey from a to b which honestly when we we're moving the townsfolk back and forth i was kind of dreading role playing but fortunately you're like okay you made it there you made it back you made it there you made it back but oh. i was dreading like this super long journey back and forth Terrace and Stolos get into it, and Terrace is like, I want answers, and like gets in the black carriage to go meet Strahd, and then Stolos, yeah, so, dude, this moment is dope. Stolos, okay, so you, for, yeah, yeah Stolos, oh, okay, so in this moment, we're in an encampment, and Ozal and Terrace are on patrol, I want to say, or maybe it's Stolos and Terrace and Vor. They're, they're on watch, yeah. Yeah, they're on watch, and... um. There is like a carriage in the distance and Cody, I think this shows how great of a DM Cody is because you didn't have anything prepared for this and you basically had to kind of live adjust like a pretty significant event. So Dini, tell us what happened. So (laughs) Terrace decides to go off on his own in this scene. And I believe it was like in the middle of the night. Uh, Stolas was night watch, I believe. Um, and the decision was made to follow him because, first of all, uh, going off alone to meet up with Strahd, of all people, just seems like a horrendous mistake. Um, so, yeah, Stolas went after him to to stop this excursion. <laughs> it was just like, no, you can't do this. So, um, it was sort of like a... It, the intention wasn't like a rescue mission necessarily, but I think it turned into one. You know, the the urgency of getting Terrace out of this situation with that weird zombie guy he was with. And I think as far as this this whole campaign is concerned, this is like one of my biggest regrets is that there was like this really fun kind of uh, back and forth with Terrace and Stolas, where maybe he didn't really hate Terrace as much as he thought he did, and there was just, like, this hint, this little hint of friendship there 
that could possibly begin. Yeah. And then, yeah, well, that didn't turn out how I thought it would, so... Um, yeah, unfortunately it was at this time that we really kind of, you know, started kind of seeing, you know, the... After this episode, it was, like, really clear that it was really difficult to continue with Terrace. Not, not, it had nothing to do with, like, going off on whatever. It was just really just a scheduling stuff. Um, this was when we re-met, um, Cody, remind me, the pie lady, Morgantha. There we go. Yep. We re-met her. We were going to buy some pies. And Terrace is like, I'm going to go, go upstairs, see if we can find some <laughs> stuff to steal or something. And it got us into this huge fight, which was actually quite good for us because we had, we were, um, kind of suspected something was up with her. We didn't know for sure, but we ended up getting to a big fight with Morgantha and her daughters. And this was a really, really crazy situation that happened. Silence going off. Um, Stolas ate one of the daughters. Um, I mean, <laughs> it really, right. really pushed and our resources. We had a bunch and of oh, the, the little kids trapped in the cage. Sorry. The other, the other daughter ended up stealing a rift breaker from Stolas. Yeah, so I, I lost think my beautiful treasure. We did get that back, though, right? We did, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah, we did. and this was also one of the uh, Three Stooges bits with Dean running up and down stairs the whole episode <laughs> trying to get into oh the fight. Oh my god, that was so frustrating, dude. I was like, I just want to attack something. Yeah, I, 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 think, I think this was the second time where you were like, I just give up. Like, I'm just going to stand here and wait for someone to come because I'm going, you know, one, it's obviously like, you know, a large map. So like 30 feet, 60 feet only gets you so far. But then the whole first floor was difficult terrain. So it was like, even as far as you could get, isn't really even that far. And then you're taking like acid damage. So yeah, I was going to say, there's like acid at the, the poison the puddle. Yeah. 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 The poison yeah. puddle. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was just, just like, a I'm nightmare. If I do, damn if I don't like, I'm, I'm so, so screwed. <laughs> this was one of Max's highlights that he wanted me to talk about because he like, we're in the tower. Max obviously has, has played the campaign. So he's like, ready to go he knows what's going to happen or within reason what's going to happen and he i would say he does a pretty good job of of holding back player knowledge versus character knowledge and uh terrace trips the alarm upstairs so the windows of the uh, windmill have alarm spells cast on them which you could think like modern day house right you open it up boom spell goes off right which is no something's going on one of them goes upstairs the other two like kind of prepare for battle uh and morgantha hasn't come back yet it's just the daughters at the windmill so I knew that something crazy was going to happen, so I gave the witches a climbing speed, which in Dungeons & Dragons you have a couple different things you can do. Movement's broken up uh, into groups, so you can like run or dash, which takes your action instead of fighting, uh, which is what Burn was kind of struggling with. Witches don't have to make climbing checks if you have a climbing speed. Uh, so he casts Silence in the middle floor, which covers almost the entirety of the tower, so they can't cast spells. Which took, like, a ton of power away from me. I was like, oh, shit, like, what am I going to do? So I gave them a climb speed, and they're, like, jumping out of windows and, like, climbing across the windmill and, like, dive attacking people and then climbing back up. And our whole group, as you can kind of see here, clustered towards the the base is like, what the fuck do we do? Like, it it basically came down to them destroying the windmill. And now this was an interesting moment in the fight because Morgantha basically was like, all right, this isn't going well. You guys leave us the fuck alone and you won't die. And then Marius Leroy Jenkins out of the building and just starts like continues the fight, even though we're kind of like, yeah, you know, we can kind of go our separate ways. And this led to 30 minutes of absolute fuckery, which is the cone discussion. <laughs> okay. Um, 
Cone gate. Which I was right about. I will stick. Well, no, to be fair, you were right, but not because I was wrong. You were right because roll 20 is weird, and all the measurements are either from the center, from the corner. And so we were both right in the way that our games were presenting to us. Yes. But it was absolutely hilarious. And I'm trying to find the exact cone moment that we start. Yeah, here we go. (laughs) We start drawing cones. Oh, God. Oh, my God. It is like. You're like, it's 15 absolute. feet out. And I'm like, no, it's 15 feet on this side. you got to measure from the corner, not the base. Well, what are the... And I was like, you're not measuring from the face. And we're, and we we're start Googling cones and, and... And Marius is like, this is from 3rd edition, which the rules have not changed for, like, battle map tactics from 3rd edition, in, in uh, some ways, I should say. I love um, your Max impersonation. Yeah. <laughs> and then we started and bringing then, in <laughs> assets, and yeah. I mean, honestly, is, if you're listening for 30 minutes, it's just typical D&D arguing about rules. Like, this and is we're drawing, like, real D&D, though. <laughs> like, these little triangle things, it got so confusing, and we're whispering, chatting each other, and it's just, like, hilarious. And in it the end, it didn't funny. really matter... But it was just like you were drawing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we're doing like Pythagorean theorem stuff, like dude. I mean, it really derailed the whole game. And then we're drawing boxes, and this shit was honestly so freaking hilarious to me. And it it honestly didn't even really matter, which is the funny part because I think she made her saves. It's like after all that, she did. Yeah, it didn't even really matter, but. See, I'm like, uh, oh. That's because I was trying to catch you and hitting more players again, which you've learned. Yeah, I don't I think say, I've done that learned. since. Nope. Thank, also, thank God to Telekinetic, because that actually does help, which we'll talk Dude. about some of Ozal's favorite moments in a bit. Um, we burned down the uh, windmill and um, ended up in Velaki, which was... Okay, uh, a whole smiling god thing that happened on the road. Yeah. You guys were told, was... like, hey... Get off the, the town. Yep. Yeah, those guys were creepy. Now, I will say I will say this. Um whether or not it was perceivable by y'all or not, Ozal as a Yanti is was a different person than Ozal as a human. And specifically Yanti, like Ozal is lawful good, but Yantis are typically like what are they coding? Evil, like chaotic evil. Chaotic, yeah. Yeah, and the so chaos spectrum, so chaotic neutral. Yeah. Chaotic evil. So as Ozal the Yanti, I was playing slightly more aggressive. So when all these people were lined up, I was like, dude, I'm about to lightning bolt every single person. But I didn't want to really break Ozal's ideals. But there was certainly times in the game where Ozal the Yanti was more aggressive than Ozal the Wise, and that's kind of like why. It's sort of like Dean with like Majin Buu. There's like the evil half of him and the good half. And so when Ozal was separated from the Yanti portion of him, the evil came back as Ozal the Defiler. And so, you know, we're kind of laying those plot threads here. Um, this is also, like Cody said, our first introduction to the Smiling God, which was, I think, our first really, really critically major diversion from Curse of Strahd. Like, obviously, we've had small things here and there, but this is where you really started changing it. Right, Cody? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So post windmill, I started at kind of adding my own spins on it because Velaki, Velaki is one of these weird towns because there's a lot going on, and about seventy percent of it really isn't Strahd oriented. So I was like, well, I've already kind of done some stuff with like other threats coming into this, you know, dread domain. Why not make that a core theme of what's happening? 
So I, I, in my own mind, I really want to set up this Lord of the Rings esque last battle where people can, you know, you can recruit all of the followers in Curse of Strahd instead of just one, right? Which mm-hmm. we've kind of started slowly incorporating in. And I was like, well, we need a power vacuum that's going to have to be filled at some point. So that's, you know, boom, smiling God. Yeah. Now, this was the first time Burn met the Grand Inquisitor. Um, this was also when Terrace was arrested at the gates for um, papers, I think. Uh, we met the uh, owners of the Blue Water Inn, yeah, and uh, Ozal, yeah, Ozal began his like mini quest to get nicer clothes, to appear as a royal wizard, to try to get some elbow room with, uh, with uh, Burgermaster Vargas, which that kind of never happened. Um, but I got to get some sweet digs out of it. Uh, but as, you know, meeting uh, the smiling God and kind of being in the temple, we devised a plan to break, uh, Terrace out. Um, you know, at Pause. this point really quick, I will say one of the smartest decisions you have made, cause you pointed out earlier, like, I don't know how Strahd has like eyes everywhere. How he knew that father Donovich was eaten. But one of the best things I think that you have done is present safe spaces to have conversations in, which make it harder for Oz- for yeah for Ozol and company to not be eavesdropped on, um, yeah. because you're in technically an, another plane of reality inside your little bubble. So points Definitely. to you on that side. I was uh, I think this was the episode we also learned of Lilith, and I was a little disappointed that we never got to explore that. I, oh I still yeah, have her storyline for Kresik. Like if you guys end up going there at all. Yeah, okay. that was... Because uh, I, I was thinking about that. I was like, yeah, we came to town and someone kind of let it slip that Lilith was around or something. Or Yep, so that's that was so. one of James's big plot hooks is he wanted to form a thieves' guild in Barovia because I told him there wasn't really one. So I kind of wrote in this whole campaign about how um, Kresik was taken over by a band of thieves that he would eventually be able to kind of, you know, rally to his side. Cool. Yeah. Now, um... This is where we also met Van Richten, who mm-hmm. decided to aid us. And this was actually one of my most favorite episodes where Stolas and um, Ozal infiltrate the Temple of the Smiling God in disguise. And through the ruse of Van Richten and Burn causing havoc with this tiger that he found, we get the fuck out of there and go, go and literally break him out of this like church. And Dean takes his first, I think, attack against the Smiling God, or the Inquisitor, rather. And uh, it's it's like this really neat roleplay episode that is kind of unplanned. Um, obviously, Cody didn't really know that we were going to be doing this. Um, you pushed some guys down the stairs, didn't you? Yeah, right there. I did. They're both yeah. prone. Yeah. Yeah, and this was, um, I forgot to mention it, but in the Windmill episode, Ozal got the Wand of Lightning Bolts, which, rip, is my favorite item ever, and I hope that someday I can get another one. It is incredible. It was such a fun item, and um, yeah, it it was fun, and so I used that quite a bit in this episode. Um, Following this episode, we we were successful, by the way, in breaking him out, but he was very wounded, very injured, and so we had to leave him behind. Uh, We did have to deal with the fallout of everything that happened, so... Uh, this is, I believe, where we met Caliban, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Breaker yeah. of Chains. Yeah, the Breaker of Chains. There he is. I don't know where he's at, but he's... Uh... Mark's having issues. Yeah, I don't know. Um, we met Caliban, which is really cool. We got to our first official fight with the Inquisitor. Uh, Ozal knew that this fight was not for now and cast Minor Illusion to kind of 
divert the town guards south or north, kind of like the rallying cry and kind of, you know, got us out of that situation because we weren't really prepared to fight this man at this point, um, especially with all the magic that he was kind of bringing up. It, it was quite difficult to really get a hold of it. <clears throat> and I think that was a, a good call by by Ozob, and I think, Cody, you were, you agreed in that, correct? Yeah, totally. Um, so we kind of got to know Caliban here in the inn. We got on some phantom steeds, and uh, we were basically told to get out of town for a bit because it was uh, a little spicy. Ozob got electrocuted by a door, <laughs> which tower. is annoying. Can you show the really puzzle? Cause it, um... I actually think I figured it out. Um, yeah, right see. there. Here we go. Yeah. So there, yeah. in the book, there's like, there's a check, but if you fail the check, your players don't understand, right? So theoretically, everyone could have made a check. And after so many lightning strikes happen, it triggers other events that happen off, like summoning a blue dragon, a clan of werewolves, the fucking tower falls down after a while if you destroy mm-hmm. it. And if you zoom in super close, there's little stick figures. Yeah, they're like little do... people doing dances. Yeah. yeah. So my original idea was to make Zach dance, but I don't think you were having it after getting struck by light. You're like, no, fuck this. And you guys just leave. So also the cart <laughs> is rigged with a ton of alchemist fire. So Terrace, thankfully, was not here because had he tried to get into it, it probably would have TPK'd the whole party <laughs> with how oh close everyone's goodness. standing. This was also a really funny roleplay moment for me um, and Dean. So we get to the winery because, like, our main goal is, like, hey, if the wine's not coming in. Like, go figure out what's going on. Take a few days to do that and then come back. And in this moment, it's, like, really sketchy. And I'm like, Burn, get your weapons ready. Get ready for battle. And Burn's like, why? I don't want to do that. There's no one here. And then Burn gets, like, the gets jumped by, like, all these little tree things. And I'm like, I told you to get your weapons ready. And it, it just looks like a pretty funny moment. Um, but in this episode, me and Caliban were exploring kind of like the northern part of the building, and then Bernard Stolas were checking out like the western part of it. Um, it was actually a really fun moment in this episode because we got to fight a bunch of these tree blights, which weren't particularly difficult to kill, but there was a lot of them, and it ended up being quite fun. Um, and in this episode, we also got to fight the big giant uh, tree thing, which was really cool. And I think for me, this was one of Ozal's like best episodes in terms of like combat, just like burn got knocked down. He was taking death saving throws. We were able to like rally on, on, um, on uh trundle and kind of save burn, which was a really fun moment. Uh, cause usually burns the one that saves everybody. So I thought that was really fun. And then once we, um, got past this, we kind of realized that, Hey, there's like a lot going on here that we just like, can't really, leave this place until we really cleanse it of everything going on. So in that episode, Marius was out. He had some personal stuff he was taken care of. And this next episode, he came back to help us kind of clean out this place. And I think it was Druids, Cody, if I'm not mistaken, that were like taking over this place with all yeah, their little so tree blights. The, the Druids of Yester Hill had actually seized the entirety of the uh, uh, mill here. And they're actually constructing, they had poisoned the wine and then had poisoned it with these blood oozes. And essentially, if you drink the ooze, it it turns you into a tree blight after a certain amount of time. So yeah. uh, the wine production, which Brovia is a very terrible place. If you've learned anything in this stream, that's the biggest thing you can take away from it. And there is like <laughs> very little pleasures to be had. And wine is the like literally the one and only pleasure that the Brovian people have. It's the, the ray of sunlight in the darkness. So without it, essentially, you just have a bunch of people like 
effectively committing suicide because they have nothing to be happy about ever again. So that, that was the big hinge moment that we were kind of trying to break through on. Um, I think that there's, there's sometimes in the campaign where things are alluded to that maybe players don't catch. So I, I have tried to air more secrets or lore than most dungeon masters would, mm-hmm. but I, I also really enjoy lore. So that's just me. This is also the first time that we got to meet the rare, rare ravens. Which throughout our campaign, we've had these ravens in the background that we've that you've kind of mentioned, but we've never really explored. This was kind of explaining what was going on with that. Yep, and we were to basically told, omens. yeah, we were basically told, hey, there's a bunch of people in, uh, you know, in the in the basement of this place. Once you clear that out, we'll be good to go. Uh, we went around and we met Caven the Bloodcaller and his witch, and this was a really fun episode because for Ozal. All my spells, for the most part, need verbal components to cast them, so the incantations. And a witch cast this spell on Ozal, or some sort of ability, where he was bleeding from his mouth and he couldn't speak. And so I was basically limited to one spell of my whole arsenal, and had to fight basically just with that against this giant... I mean, he's literally like a gargantuan creature. And it was a pretty fun moment. Ozal basically shattered his face with ice... Uh, my only spell that doesn't need verbal components, and it was, it was pretty awesome. We got a magical item out of it, the blood spear, which Burn has, which we may have some really cool stuff involved with that in the future. Um, I know, really kind of... like how we ended this episode because I remember specifically crawling through that window, and by the time oh, yeah. I left that room, <laughs> every that gargantuan guy was dead. I remember that you were like trying to sneak in with your ability and. I think you missed most of the fight. <laughs> I, I missed everything. In fact, when I walked out, I, th- I think I said, what I miss? <laughs> Hilarious. Uh, Abdulio <laughs> says, sounds like Fallout New Vegas, where you got to make nice with the different factions so they can join you for the final battle. Definitely. So episode 11, Yesterhill. Um, we oh, had boy. a huge confrontation here. So this was the episode where Ozal was finally cured of his curse. Um, we never really mentioned this ever. And I don't even know if Strahd technically saw it, but Dini ate, or Stolas ate a Vastani, <laughs> and it never gets brought up again, which is hilarious. <laughs> you totally, I think, got away with that one. I did. No one saw me. No one heard it. Uh, Burn was unable to, or maybe just unwittingly didn't even bother asking or investigating what Stolas was doing in the bushes. But <laughs> yeah, was- I... I totally got away with it. It's one of my greatest accomplishments in this, in yeah, this whole I think, campaign. I think he was like, oh, what are you doing out here? And you were just like, oh, I'm just hanging out by the horses or something. I was like, oh, okay. I just came to check on Trundle. Like, we'll see you later. <laughs> <laughs> He's so And I think she kind of got you. Where Sauce is like, Burn, you're really handsome. And you got distracted by that. And then right? <laughs> you're like, you must get all the ladies. Now, this was also, I want to say... Was this the first or one of the first? Let me see. Yeah, this was the first episode where we introduced Bless and Banes for the party, mm-hmm. which were really neat. And uh, we also started looking at some other really professional D&D streams and being like, hey, like they have their character stuff on the screen. Makes it very easy to for Cody in particular to be able to see what's going on, quick references yep. for stuff like that. Which is that helpful for you, by the way? Dude, it's so huge. Like the other day when I was like, let me look at my quick sheet. And I pull up the stream because typically the stream is like maybe the third or fourth tab I have, I have a, so I have a secondary monitor that I run. I have all of my DM, DM notes, you know, loot. 
different pages like our uh, Reddit brought to us, you know, critical hit, fumble table. Mm-hmm. Um, I have variant rules up for, you know, certain situations and like maps and diagrams and stuff. And then recently I've started doing um, character pop outs. So I'll actually take a snippet of like a character sheet and I've highlighted and annotated <laughs> notes on my end. So like if this happens, then use, you know, see green text. So green text is like, oh, I have this reaction, I have this bonus action, you know, I have X, Y, Z to do. Um, so yeah, that cheat sheet's huge, and I don't have to have it up anywhere on my stuff. So that's always really nice. Yeah, definitely. Um, the Bless and Banes were pretty big. We had been working on them for a few episodes, and it was finally time that we launched them. And initially, they worked like with a different website, which doesn't really work that well anymore. So right um, now it's yeah. dice rolls to make things a little faster yeah. and easier. Yep. Um, uh, which is very thematic too. Um, Ozol did die and come back, so this was the first time technically I think a party member has died, other than Terrace. Um, Those part of the plot, so it wasn't really like a combat-related death. I guess nor was Terrace's, but um, he came back as Ozol the Wise and changed into his white outfit for the first time for the combat at Yesterhill. Um, we got to see a ritual where Strahd was involved with the um, the druids and the tree blights. And we basically had a really big, crazy fight with everybody. Um, and uh, it was it was a kind of a weird fight because these squares are like, I think, 100 feet wide, which you said, Cody. And it made Ooh, combat yeah, very difficult to work out. And it was a fun episode combat-wise, but it was just super confusing like for me as a player, I think. I don't know if Dean and Stolas felt that way, but everything was just like... Different. I believe this also uh, was when I got uh, Riffraker back. Mm-hmm. Yes. From the, uh, one yep. of the sisters that had escaped. And I was... What happened? Something happened in regard to that. I think someone gave me like their... I don't know, like Deem Inspiration or Bless or something so I could take uh, her so. out. Uh, yeah. That was really fun. <laughs> I did. I gave you... I think I had gotten a good uh, role... And I was like, can I just give it to Stolos? Because I want to see this happen. Oh, I see. Yeah. yeah. That was pretty sick. Now, after the fight, a big hole opened up in the ground. And this is, like, another benefit to make Patreon. You can help us, like, you know, kind of write the campaign, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And um, we got to do um, a, uh, a challenge carnage. episode. Yeah, Carnival of Carnage. So we asked the Patreons, like, hey, we want to do, like, a big battle episode, or episodes, rather. What do you guys think would be very cool? And the Loot Goblin was what they chose. And we were basically transported to another realm where we had three different rounds of challenges. They were, I want to say, challenges of mental fortitude, challenges of, was it strength, Cody? And then the last one was combat? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and yeah, so that was they fun. Were challenges of strength. We of got to re meet Garen, who's part of campaign one, uh, which we hope to bring, you know, kind of meld the two, so to speak, at some point. And then we got to fight this giant ice spider for like three or four <laughs> hours, which was insanely fun. Hold on. Let me. The, so I, I stole this idea from a different dungeon master, uh, okay. Gr- Griffin McElroy, uh, for those of you who watch the Adventure Zone. Um, but he had a, a character generator for bosses, and it was like, you know, roll wheel one once, roll wheel two, two or three times, and it gives different attributes. 
And so I'm building this thing to make it like super challenging. This actually, we had a lot of damage, and I think like almost half the party went down at one point or another. Um, but the spider was just asininely named, and it still makes me feel to this day. Let's see if I can find it here. You can go ahead and keep talking. I'll let you know when I find oh, it. Oh, okay. Yeah, so the arena basically went from like a fire arena to a uh, water arena, which was fun. Like, you know, water combat's obviously a little bit different than regular combat. And it ended up being really crazy, really pushing us to like our absolute limit for resources and health. And um, ended up being quite, you know, quite an intense battle. Uh, in the end, we did prevail. And this was also another shout out to one of our Patreon members. Um, you know, we we were looking for like to do some really cool stuff, and we commissioned custom dice with our logos on them yeah. on the twenty. And as a thank you to Paul, Paul Schreiber, that that uh, helped us do that, um, we said like, hey, we're doing this loot episode. You can kind of help us pick the loot for that, you know, the prize, and then also you'll be named in canon as the architect that built the loot item and so we uh i think it was uh schreiber industries was the the uh the the master <laughs> artisan like that. Yeah. that uh our master schreiber and uh yeah we we got the prima vista which yeah. uh was our reward for beating the luke goblin and that was obviously a well-earned um accomplishment um and that kind of uh you know this this episode was crazy long because, like that whole combat, basically spilled over to the next episode too, and that was like the full episode of just fighting, uh, this dude. And then the arena changed one more time into like, like a traditional coliseum, and we just kept going and going and going. And, um, yeah, it was crazy. We did see Terrace's dead body when we finally got back to town. We had been gone for a month. Uh, we met with Strahd as his uh, in his noble form. And, uh, you know, we kind of, uh, you know, we're kind of set forth on, on finishing the, um, the smiling God, because that was kind of like, Hey, you've been gone a month. Like shit has not gotten better. And, um, yeah, it was, it was, a a really neat episode, uh, slash like mini arc, the Luke Goblin stuff, which was, which was pretty fun. So on this episode, uh, we had to kind of figure out how to deal with the uh, Smiling God. And is this the Burgermaster's Manor, Cody? Like this no, area that's that the in? Blue Water Inn. <clears throat> okay, gotcha. But I think in this episode is where we did start like kind of that battle against the Inquisitor. Am I correct? Yeah, so you guys uh, made like a huge... Each of the little like, black and red dots are kind of... Um, the troops moving through the town since they've kind of taken over as this militant force of body snatchers. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you guys end up at the temple and kind of start knocking heads and blowing doors down and stuff. Yeah. Now this was, I think one of Ozal's like classic Ozal stuff is lining up like really awesome lightning bolt shots. Like I know, for a wizard, fireball is kind of the meme, but I also don't want to friendly fire my peeps. And so typically, like, in combat, when I get a shot like this, I'll yell to one of the players, like, you know, trust me, and I'll cast a bonus action um, telekinetic ability on them and just move them out of the way. 
and then line up like a triple shot on lightning bolt. And I think like Ozal's done it like four or five times. And it's just always really fun when it happens. And it's so I love, cool. I'm I absolutely so love it. And <laughs> I mean, so if you cool. think about it, like 38 damage times three, potentially like that's almost like 120 damage from one spell, which is, you know, not insignificant. And it's just so fun. Like not being able like, obviously I could just nuke Calaman too, but to like be able to push them out of the way with telekinetic and then line up a shot. Like to me, like signature spell lightning bolt is like one of Ozal's like most signature spells and does a tremendous amount of damage. And it's, you know, fairly fairly low risk to the party, right? Instead of a fireball, which just nukes everything totally. in a circle. Um, so I'm definitely glad as a player. Like, that was a big decision for me. It's like, do I take both fireball and lightning bolt? And I'm definitely glad I did, though. I wish I still had the wand of lightning bolts. Um, yeah, we basically took over the church and uh, burn and Caliban fortified it. Um, and this was like a kind of a crazy moment, Cody, because I think it was either this episode or the beginning of the next one where we almost got the, uh, the owner of the inn killed. She had an arrow to her head and stole us and, um, mm-hmm. Ozal and Marius kind of like tried to hostage negotiate and we blanked on a spell cause it didn't work or something. For some reason it didn't work. And we got, uh, Kate. we almost got this lady killed. So it was. It was quite quite a letdown, but fortunately she did not die, and she was just bleeding out, and Marius was able to save her. Yeah, he was able to use his, his spell to bring her back to life. Uh, episode 15, The Battle of Valaki, continues. Um, you know, it's it, this was a huge battle, right? So we're battling with the Inquisitors in the church, cleaning up the city, and then finally we're, like, making plans to kind of lay siege to the Burgermaster's Manor. Um, and it was quite, kind of less difficult than I expected. Like there wasn't as many inquisitors in the manor. And I think Cody, you mentioned this cause we killed so many in the church that there wasn't really that many left to like fortify the manor. And, uh, it ended up being like not too hard to get to that point where we got to be face to face with the, um, the inquisitor of the smiling God. And, um, tell us about, you know, why you chose these creatures for the Inquisitor and for the Smiling God itself. And I, uh, tell us tell us what happened. So we we enter this interplanar layer, for lack of a better term, uh, of a Rex Sasha, and reading through Van Richten's guide, which is an additional book that comes um, and kind of explains the domains of dread and some of the other, you know, settings. Uh, I was reading through this really cool section about um, essentially what is like Indian folklore about like Raksashas and stuff like that. And I was like, Oh, that'd be a really cool enemy to throw at the party, especially because like they're immune to spells of fifth level or lower, just straight up, no save. They don't have to do anything from it. So I was like, okay, well, what if one found a genie? And since one of our key themes is that Strahd's only keeps his domain because of the challenges that arise, he keeps finding a way to put them down. So I was like, okay, well, this is really cool. It's a good way to change the pace of uh, Velaki instead of doing the different festivals and the Burgermasters and, you know, rules is written. Let's change things, change things up and make it like a little bit more special that, uh, with stuff I can do for campaign two. So that's how this came about this huge charade of 
this mask and the whole the whole idea behind it was domination magic but you have to put your intent behind it and give something people to have faith in so i was like okay well what if this Rexasha finds this magic item uh this magic item creates a seed and much like an idea this seed is what gives him his power so it, t- it essentially effectively rewrites and you can see right there the mask uh it rewrites a character's total backstory their knowledge everything they do and it gives them a solitary singular focus of purpose uh which was to serve the smiling god who is this Rexasha. so and this huge fight pops off he had used two wishes already um ozal ends up getting the mask and like puts it in containment protocol i think in the episode after this yeah, uh, but it, it's another thing that I could throw up the party, much like the One Ring that tempts the party. Like if I keep giving you potential sources of power, someone's going to break down and use it, and that gives me something else to play with in the campaign. This was one of my favorite moments. So Ozo oh. rolls portent twice a, or two times every day, and you know usually they're pretty good. I think once or twice I've gotten a nat twenty, but this is the first time I got a one, and I kept that baby locked and loaded. And the Ifrit, which is the genie. Out of nowhere, I don't know why, tries to kill Ozal first, which, first off, how dare you? Um, basically goes to strike Ozal, and Ozal uses the one portent. He absolutely whiffs, and the critical fail table is like, your turn ends, and you forget where you are in combat, and you basically, you basically had to skip a whole other <laughs> turn, because he was on the yep. top of the initiative order. And then the Deva turns Vor, who we haven't mentioned too much, but he's obviously a very big part of, mm-hmm. of our campaign, turns Vor into a Tyrannosaur, and then Tyrannosaur just beats the hell out of this genie, and then everyone just wallops him while he's prone, and for basically two <laughs> turns, and it it really put a dent in him as a, as, you know, in his combat prowess, and it, to me it was one of the coolest Ozol moments, I think, of the whole campaign. It was And then incredible. I proceed to decimate Ifrit. Dude. Knocked him yeah. unconscious, knocked off his mask. You guys got like, so many criti- I think I had dude. like two two critical failures in this section, uh, outside of your one that you gave me. And yeah. then the team was just like the dice were on fire for you guys. I think we had like three or four big critical hits that took my like CR 11 creature and like CR 10 creature to zero, like super fast. And I was like, Oh, like, Oh no. One of my favorite (laughs) moments was grabbing the, the, because the Ifrit, as soon as he became conscious, he tried to reach for the mask, but Ozil had already mage handed it away and towards him and recovered it. And um, obviously that was a very dangerous item. And so Ozil, after the fight was like, we need to get this the fuck out of here and into my realm, which um, technically, I don't think in our canon a lot of characters even really know about the realm, and I think as far as most of our players are concerned, including Strahd, the item itself is actually still in the Tomb of St. Andrews. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't know where it's at. Because we went down there with it, and then we never came back with it. So, right. I know when we met Strahd for, for dinner, he was kind of like, well, where's it at? And, yeah. and I was always, like, refusing to tell him. So, that well, was a really... Is, is the, these two characters aren't dead, either. They actually got away. Yeah, they're not. Yeah. Though I wonder if they would still, you know, be allies to each other because the Ifrit was only there because of the wishes. So who knows? It could yeah. be a setup for campaign two, but I mean, after getting the absolute shit beat out of them, I don't know if they want more of that smoke. Um, <laughs> episode sixteen aftermath, which is I believe the episode before the final episode of the season that we'll talk about today. 
um, we had to kind of deal with the aftermath of everything that happened. Now that the domination magic was gone, all the surviving Inquisitor uh, people were just basically zombies, and we couldn't treat them. And they're essentially, not even that they're vegetative. Yeah. They're they're essentially a, a computer program without orders, right? Yeah, Ozal Ozal severed the mask mid magic as it fell off, which I think was a critical yeah. hit on your part too. Yeah. Now this was a uh, a cool thing. Yeah, Dini, we're not actually playing today. We're just going over campaign season one, so it'll be uh, you know, it's just a little bit of a recap for those that don't have time to listen to everything. Uh, but this is where Ozal took the mask. He met the Archmage Magnus, which. Uh, I believe the episode before is where we first unlocked this area as part of Ozal's transformation. Uh, I believe next time that we visit it in-game, it'll be much different. The whole point is, like, it's barren now, but as we continue to add magic items to it, it will begin evolving. So next time you see it, and I think I want to show the players it as well, it'll actually be, like, a, a you know, pretty neat little, little area. Um, but yeah, we kind of had to figure out what we wanted to do because there's a lot of dead people, and... Uh, you know, people that we couldn't really help as much as we'd like. And so we, um, you know, basically, I guess, what do we do? Could we just walked around and tried uh, to yeah, figure we, out? We closed up the loose ends, right? You guys um, found the tax money, which was being hidden. and Yep, because you guys had dinner with Strahd coming up. So you guys were like, well, we got to leave anyways. So you basically kind of just left the town in shambles like, oh, sorry. Right. My my player theory, Cody, you don't have to confirm or deny this, but I think that this magic circle is what brought the Ifrit and the Roxasha to this land. That's my theory. And that's why when when we went back to the town, the first thing I did was close that up because like this this can't this open ended portal to this realm can't just be here. Like that is too dangerous. Really solid theory. That's a a good conspiracy theory right there. There we go. My tinfoil hat on. Um so yeah, we uh we did find the tax money. We were invited to dinner with Strahd. And, uh, yeah, that's... Um, yeah. Would you consider this the last episode of the season or the Strahd dinner as the last I would, episode? I would probably consider Strahd's dinner the last episode. Um, and right, that's just... actually... So, the Prima Vista, which is the cart that we mentioned, this is the cart we got from the Loot Goblin episode. So, this is from voted from the Patreon users. Uh, I promise, you know, every vote you guys give us... Um, community engagement we do. I'm going to be putting out some more stuff for season two for you guys to vote on. On top of that, any of the money that goes to our streams and we put like straight back into D&D. Um, you may not see it all, but it, it shows extra spells, extra races, classes, monsters and stuff for me to use. Uh, maps in this case, like this Prima Vista was one that we purchased with Patreon money. Uh, we also, um, our characters kind of have, have been banking stuff for bigger fights. Um, like last last episode's a perfect example. We burned through a ton of resources on some of those harder fights. Um, so thank you guys. Yeah, it can't be overstated enough. Like basically, whenever you super chat any of our shows, like that money goes into a pool for that show to use. Um, and in, in this case, obviously, like the D and D books, like you can get them for free, questionably legal ways. But for them to integrate very cleanly with Roll Twenty, you have to actually buy them through the software. And they're very expensive. So Cody's been using uh, this, that money for you know to expand our abilities to kind of commission artwork like the Prima Vista. Um, and so you know you're you're helping the players in game with like really neat stuff, which obviously Ozol literally probably would have started taking death saving throws last episode 
if it wasn't for one of the super chats that gave me a divine intervention. Um, yep. And uh, obviously, I, you know, quite a bit like Stolas had a critical one that she had to use an advantage for to uh, not basically fall 50 feet to like hurt yourself <laughs> into the water. So I promise like if you guys are doing the Blast and Banes, it is very helpful. We, we, may, we may not use them immediately, but we always use them like when we need them. Uh, Dean also used a Stony McBrony potion last episode to um, <laughs> solidify one of the, the ghost. Uh, yeah the ghosts there, which yeah. was really fun. And uh, yeah, this episode we got to meet with Strahd. Uh, it it was an interesting episode. We were introduced to Gore, the Blood Tusk, uh, Ozal the Defiler, and the corpse of Terrace, who had kind of been mutated into like this praying mantis type character and you know kind of sets up more big bad guys for us to fight in the future which is always fun and that um, was a twist that was great yeah. was also, also riding a demon i don't know if you caught that or not but that giant oh i didn't know i thought it was a, a werewolf giant demon yeah i love everything about that and uh yeah it was it was a uh, a great little bit of uh more of a role play episode which you know, for all the combat, you know, we did have to do some role play to kind of wrap up some of those things. And Caliban we got that dinner. Wax. With, yeah, Caliban got waxed. We got to meet with Strahd, and he introduced some strife within the party, which kind of came to a head last episode and, and the one prior. Uh, and it was, you know, we were interrogated. I was always asked where, um, you know, where's this item? Like, I want this item. Where is it? Like, and, uh, it you know it was it was a pretty fun little episode and we did have a chance to investigate the castle but i think after the dinner after kind of being spooked a bit by strad and his minions we decided to leave and uh you know basically do our investigating the next time we enter but um all in all i think campaign 2 season 1 i think was was a really really fun you know bit of dungeons and dragons we got to you know play with some really cool people uh, how dare you? Ozal should have stayed dead, TBH. He's been nothing but problems with his old ass. Truth. We got to meet some really great people, like Max, and really get to know James a lot better. We got to all get better, I think, as players in Dungeons & Dragons. We got to uh, fight some really good enemies, get some really good roleplay. Um, you know, we've had our fair share of arguments amongst ourselves of our rules and cones and how big I cones still, should be. I want a cone t-shirt. That's what I want. I mean, just you... a picture of me with like a, a dunce cap cone that says I know the rules or something. That's you design that and you let us know and we will, I will do it. I will do that. We, um, we do uh, plan very soon. I think as soon as we get our Vervain artwork, the last of it, we will be doing the Dungeons and Dragons sticker. So stay tuned for that. And then as far as D&D, I just want to pull up this real quick. If you go on... Um, let me see. I'm trying to figure out the best way to do this. Give me one second here. Let's see. Collecting Weekly. T Public is such a pain in the butt. Yeah. But if you want to support uh, the show, obviously we have the Bless and the Banes, but we also have um, some t shirts on T Public, which, you know, again, the money goes towards the, uh, the program that we do. We have the D&D Holiday Special t-shirt drawn by Dean. This is obviously an homage to the uh, Star Wars Holiday Special, the iconic Boba Fett scenes. We got Burn, Fett, and Ozal the Brontosaurus in the background, which I think is incredible. We have the Ozal the Wise t-shirt. We have 
Caliban the Breaker of Chains t-shirts. We got a porn site advertising in the comments. Nice. Love to see it. The Marius Frudari t-shirt. The Ozol and the Jets t-shirt, which I think I is an all-time, yeah. all-time classic. I like that. Uh, Amazing. He added a picture of Stolas in there. Right. Oh, yeah. She's the Jet. Or he's the Jet. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> That's hilarious. It's also plastered it's somewhere inside the Prima Vista. I think I put that in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got burned. And then we have the there. official Live and Let Dice logo compliments. I have the shirt on the way. Dude, really? I bought two of those. Yep. They're awesome. Look at that. That was special. Um, so, yeah. Uh, does anyone have, I guess, anything they want to, favorite moments that we forgot to mention? Like, I mean, anything, really. My absolute favorite moment. And... Oh, I know no. we, we kind of talked about it a little bit, but <laughs> everybody gets gifts from Strud, right? And like everybody's is like kind of cool. <laughs> and Zach gets this potion, <laughs> and he drinks it. And Cody's like, "Well, now you got to roll." And you can just see it in his, or I guess you guys can't well, see. Well, it was it. a ring. It was a ring. Yeah. Oh, was it the ring? Okay, it was yeah. the ring. And <laughs> Zach's face, dude. Oh my god. Yeah. So, yeah, you guys can't see it when we go live, but everyone's face is down here. <laughs> and like having to be turned into a snake, he was so legitimately upset. <laughs> it was just the highlight of the D and D, dude. It was so, just so funny. I will say, like he was like, "Well, how long?" <laughs> It's gonna last. <laughs> and how long did it last? It was a while. It was it's like permanent. six fucking months. <laughs> yeah, it's permanent. Like well, every time, yeah. every time he dies, he would change race oh, when he comes that's back. Because right. Zach's like, I, I really want a character that I can keep that doesn't die. So he came up with some mechanics. Like if Zach dies, like he loses some to his wisdom score, so Ozal can stay alive. And then after his wisdom score drops so low, he permanently dies. But we've never really fully explored like what happens if. Zach's character dies in canon. It's like disintegrated or decapitated or. And I think know, Cody and I started working towards like that already right. behind the scenes. But I was I was playing Baldur's Gate and uh, which is like super old Dungeons and Dragons game that came out. It's like turn based combat. You run through and play. It's probably the most famous D and D game ever created, right? And there's this part where your character finds a magic belt and it's not labeled. And you're like, oh, the stats are really good on it. And as soon as you put it on, it permanently changes your gender, even if you take it off. And it doesn't work for anyone else. And I was like, that'd be really funny to do to a Zach because of how attached he is to Ozol. So that's where the ring idea came from. How dare you. Baldur's Gate. So you can think, off, there you you. think Wizard of the Coast for that. I mean, if I would have become an Asimar <laughs> like I've always wanted to, which I still think is a goal for it Ozol. It was on the wheel. It was on the no, wheel it, twice. No, no, no. No, no, it was. It was. I'm not saying that. But, like, obviously a, a better race for me would have been more preferable. Um, yeah. I don't think I was hoping for Ozol the orc. That's what I want. Yeah. Just big old um, Dini, do you have anything you want to add uh, about this campaign so far? Yeah. So um, we kind of informed uh, the audience when we, I think it was both at the beginning of this campaign and our previous one, um, that none of well, I, at least in terms of me and Dean and. Uh, we didn't really know much about Dungeons and Dragons. We were basically new to it. Um, it's been so long since I'd even looked 
at Dungeons and Dragons that it, it effectively is just a complete newbie. So when we started this campaign, uh, it's a little overwhelming when you're not like a professional actor or really versed in how Dungeons and Dragons works, how you're supposed to speak for your character. So there is, uh, I don't remember which episode it was in specifically, but um, Marius had this really great campfire story to tell uh, the whole team. And it was basically like a, a little uh, exposition, you know, talking about, you know, his lore, his character, uh, his peoples, things like that. And what I liked about that was as someone who was just sort of trying my hardest <laughs> to be even remotely decent at playing this game, uh, he comes in and he's like so cool about it like his character has got everything together he's got this backstory he knows how to tell it in a compelling way with a cool accent uh i i love that um i'm still working on trying to develop stolas and speak in a way that's i guess uh more interesting kind of give little bits about his character as we go on because he's so um I guess uh, he's kind of secretive about himself. He doesn't really like to talk unless it's absolutely forced by magic, apparently. So, um, yeah, I just loved that part because it gave me a lot to, I guess, to look up to and to aspire to in terms of just roleplay. Definitely. Um, totally. Yeah, it's weird. Ever since I got COVID, I've had a real hard time getting my Ozol voice back, which isn't that different from my own voice. But I was telling Cody, I was like, bro, I don't know what it is, but like, my voice doesn't work the same like for that. And so I've been having a hard time. Like, I feel like I'm getting it back like a little bit more every day. But last episode, Cody's like, talking to your character voice. I'm like, bro, I, I'm trying. <laughs> like, I'm, it's, it's difficult to get that back. It, it comes with time and experience. Like... Learning how to talk as your character, what your background is. I kind of like that a lot of the backgrounds aren't fully flushed out because yeah. it gives us something more to work for next campaign that we can explore and like do more with and actually make like more character centric stories other than Strahd. I mean, it, it's hard too because I've, I've morphed this campaign based on some of the community's, um, I guess, statistics like what episodes are, are more watched or what people are thinking or how they're thinking it, right? So uh, we've taken out some of the smaller, just random, like, street encounters that you would have typically in this book. Like, you're supposed to have at least three encounters every day in Curse of Strahd, which is a lot. Like, when combat lasts over an hour each time, just based on, like, turns, and there's not a lot I can do to make that go faster. So um, I, I'm really excited to actually dig into that for each character. It's going to be a lot of fun. And with Stolas is kind of just making it up on the spot is always kind of one of the best ways to do it. Because then it becomes canon and it gives you, you know, one more point on the graph that you can keep, you know, graphing towards. So I think you're doing great. Yeah, in fact, that last episode, you had introduced this, like, third eyeball. This yeah. red, creepy eyeball. And it was sort of implied, I guess, that it, it could be a window to Hadar. Like, something that he can see through and or speak through and at the very end of this last episode i just i was like you know what i'm gonna do that because that sounds really cool totally just like having this third eye that's 
this entity is watching and listening through. It's really cool. I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes. I also next, like the fact that in canon, Ozol's favorite drink is orange juice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So thank you guys for watching. Um, you know, we'll be uh, posting this to the podcast feed, and you know, we really appreciate all the support everyone's given us, all the love. It's obviously different from our normal collecting stuff. So appreciate everyone entertaining us, and uh, yeah, thank you guys for tuning in to Dungeons and Dragons Live and Let Dice Collecting Weekly uh, Season One Recap, and uh, we're excited. For what's going to happen next episode there's some huge huge big stuff if you haven't listened to the last episode i mean it's like i can't reiterate how huge of a moment it was that we ended on that cliffhanger and we're gonna have to figure it out and kind of work together as a party to get past what happened and uh <laughs> yeah i can't reiterate it was a huge moment so thank Praise you guys for, for tuning Solas. in yeah and for marius <laughs> thank you guys for watching uh we love you guys and we'll catch you on the next episode of live and let dice Bye. Bye. Bye, everyone.